Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. We have um, a guest teacher this morning, and as I said at first service, he's really not a very good teacher. Uh, he's certainly not a Bible scholar. Um, he's a terrible sinner, but he does have a good heart, and uh, so please welcome me. I'm... Uh, <laughs> Filling in for Pastor Dave today. <laughs> Join me in prayer to start service, please. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And Lord, I, I pray this not just for me, but for everybody in the room. Let us put out our frustration, our anger, our fear, our questions any conflicts that we have with anyone or anything, Lord, and let us just concentrate on you and your goodness and mercy during this special time together. And Lord, we lift up Pastor Dave and his family, especially his wife Carly, as um, she travels home this, uh, this next week. We thank you for, for their service to, to this community, and we pray for your continued favor and blessing on all of us, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my message this morning is titled, Is This the Beginning of the End? Have you had people ask you that or, or wondered about it yourself? Is this coronavirus thing punishment from the Lord? Or what about all the crazy stuff that's happening in our country and around the world? Are these the end times that the Bible talks about so much? And to try and find the answers, I invite you to join me in turning your Bibles to Matthew 24, verse 1. We're going to try and get through this whole chapter today if we have time. We start, of course, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, the disciples must have been dumbfounded and found that statement hard to believe. The temple was massive and glorious. It was a marvel of engineering and design. It was the biggest and best building in their entire world. Now, from what we know about the disciples through other scriptures, I would imagine that this was motivated, this comment, by their personal designs on gaining positions of power and authority in what they thought was going to be the soon coming kingdom of Jesus. I would guess they were admiring the buildings with the idea that, look at this, someday soon, I am going to be somebody very important in this place. We know from history that this prophecy from Jesus came true about 40 years later in 70 AD. And his prediction was literal because the temple was burned. Immense amounts of ornate gold trim melted down into the cracks between the stones. And to get to the gold, to salvage it, the soldiers literally chipped the stones apart one by one, exactly as Jesus had foretold. And the things that he said must have sunk into the disciples because we read in verse 3, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Now, before we go into his long and detailed reply, 
it's important to make a couple of key points. First, everything we read about today is prophetic, talking about things that will happen in the future as planned from the beginning of time by God himself. And it wasn't by accident that Jesus was standing on the Mount of Olives when he told the disciples these things. That is the very place the prophet Zechariah predicted the Messiah would stand at the beginning of the very end of time. Join me in Zechariah 14. You don't have to turn. You can read along. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Now, of course, in that scripture, Zechariah was prophesying the second coming of Jesus. But I love the fact that in between, Jesus made sure he was standing on the exact location mentioned in Zechariah's prophecy about the Messiah returning as he explained to his closest followers that what Zechariah had predicted was coming true before their very eyes step by step. Next, it's important to our understanding to know that most of the atmosphere of, of, of this whole discussion from Jesus is Jewish. He talks about Judea, the Sabbath, and the prophecies of Daniel concerning the Jewish people. Now, some Bible scholars believe all of this concerns only the Jews. Others feel that part of this prophecy, especially later in the passage, deals with us, the church. Either way... I strongly believe that understanding what Jesus explains here will give us in the church much better understanding of what is happening today and what is soon to come. And it'll help us to plan for what Jesus promises is going to happen. So let's proceed with the longer reading of this scripture that predicts the future. Verse 4, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Now, I want to insert a couple of quick comments here. Remember that the prophets, including Jesus, often spoke about things that were going to happen very soon while simultaneously predicting things that would happen in the distant future. Church history shows us that a lot of these things happened almost immediately after Jesus ascended back into heaven. The apostles and many other Christians were arrested, persecuted, hated, and killed. And many false prophets and teachers started to appear almost immediately. And those things have continued in one shape or another for 2,000 years. But we need to realize that much of what Jesus said, prophesied back then, is intended for our near future today. And doesn't that description sound a lot like what is beginning to happen? Our world seems more intense every day, more frightening, more and more unpredictable. Now, 
Plagues, pandemics are nothing new. They've been here throughout all of history. We've, we've had them, uh, you know, over the past several centuries, about once every 100 years or so. But I'm not sure there's ever been such a huge political and social upheaval and maneuvering along with the pandemic is what we're seeing today. Wars and famines and earthquakes have always been part of life on this earth. And Christians from day one have always been persecuted, at least in some places around the globe. We haven't yet seen what I would categorize as real persecution here in the United States, but I believe the warning signs are beginning to flash brighter and brighter and more often. Jesus mentions birth pains, and I think that's a great description. They start off as uncomfortable and spaced far apart, and they become more and more difficult and, and closer together. And then the pain gets intense and hurtful, only to take a short break and then to return again deeper and longer and stronger. And ladies, uh, I'm just speaking from what I've heard. You understand this a lot better than we, we men ever will. It's often been said that if men had to give birth, no family on earth would have more than one child. And I, I don't want to exaggerate or be alarmist about all this, but I see a lot of subtle but very strong signs that the persecution of the church in America is not too far away. There are growing calls to remove the tax-exempt status of the churches. Add those properties to the tax rolls. Why, why shouldn't they pay taxes? And to remove the tax deductions for those of you who donate to the church. And to declare parts of scripture as hate speech so that it's illegal to read from the pulpit. And that's already happening, has been for quite a while in Europe and Canada, right next door. And there are growing numbers in our nation who feel the church is an enemy of the public. I actually saw a video a few weeks ago of protesters outside a church service in America, who were literally screaming, save these children from the church, this is child abuse, as parents were trying to take their little kids into Sunday school. We've enjoyed a long, peaceful stretch of being free to worship Jesus in our nation, and I'm not saying it's coming to an immediate end, but I am warning you that we all need to be prepared to make a biblical stand for what is coming in the very near future. Now, there are many who don't feel that closing down the churches or limiting attendance due to the pandemic is a problem. There are others who feel it's a violation of both our constitutional rights and an affront to Scripture that tells us to come together often to worship the Lord. And to be balanced, there are several Scriptures that remind us that we are to obey our government authorities no matter who they are. And we have to find the balance and we, as a staff here, are watching and observing very closely, and we encourage you to pray deeply as the situation develops. There may soon come a day when we need to follow the scriptures in the book of Acts when Peter said to the authorities who strictly ordered him to stop preaching the gospel about Jesus, and he replied, should we obey man rather than the word of God? No, we must obey the Lord. Now, I'm not saying we're there yet, but please be very aware, and you would be wise to keep this situation in deep prayer. Back to Matthew 24, with some powerful encouragement from Jesus. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. <sighs> Reassuring if we stop. 
and think about that, okay? No matter what comes, all we have to do is endure until the end. Verse 14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Some believe that has already happened, but again, that it could be happening again in the future. And then it's interesting, it's inserted, reader, pay attention. Now, there weren't people walking around with Jesus taking notes, but he knew because he's God, this would be in scripture for us to read in the years and days and centuries to come. So, reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Doesn't that sound terrible? At least with what we're going through now, We've been able to stay in our homes. We're well-fed. We're safe. Uh, even with all the shutdowns and everything like that, we've been able to, at the very least, get our church services online and other communications. Many of us are able to continue working, uh, go to work, or, or to do it online. It's been a pain, and it's been frustrating. But all in all, we've gotten off very easy. But what if this gets worse? I'm here to tell you, it will. Jesus promises the world is going down the tubes. The world is coming to an end. Perhaps not right away, but eventually. And when it does, it's going to be more horrible than we can imagine. In verse 21, Jesus said, For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Think of that. Greater anguish than the worldwide flood of Noah's time or the extermination of the Jews and many other innocents in World War II. I just did a little study to look it up. Revised Estimates of those murdered and exterminated, not including the soldiers that were in battle, but just innocents, non-combatants, murdered, exterminated between the Germans and the Russians in World War II, 17 million people. Jesus said this, this coming, will be worse. Terrible and difficult. So it's natural to ask, how should we prepare there are huge numbers of people in our world today who are trying to plan and prepare for every possible problem and scenario. They're called preppers. I, I almost titled today's lesson The Big Boom on Doom and Gloom because there are companies making millions of dollars selling every kind of preparation device you can imagine from million-dollar underground bunkers to... <laughs> I, I, I saw we did a story on the, on the news the other day to your own personal little submarine so you and your family can, can survive underwater during all of this. And a little uh, water straining system so that you can drink straight from the stream or the river. 
Now, many people have one to three to five years of food, water, and other supplies stashed away. And it sounds foolish to me at the start, but then I look back at what happened at the beginning of March with the coronavirus scare, and we couldn't get toilet paper or hand sanitizer or bottled water, and our well-stocked stores looked like we'd been through a couple of wars. People were grabbing anything they could get their hands on. And it turned out it was very unnecessary and quite hurtful. It damaged our food supply line. And the ripples haven't yet completely worked themselves out. We could still see repercussions from years down the road in the form of higher prices and low stock or no stock on a lot of things that we've always taken for granted, like meat and milk and gasoline. I was talking with my son about this. He lives in Utah where a lot of the people are famous for, for prepping. A lot of them have special rooms under their home. And how I feel that it's useless, but he pierced my heart when he said, but dad, I can't stand the thought of letting my little kids go hungry. And that kills me to think of that happening to, to my little grandchildren. They're all under three right now. But let's say, okay, let's go buy two or three large freezers and let's stock it up with meat and frozen foods. What happens when we lose our nationwide grid and electricity goes out for good? And I've done enough reading and research to know that that is a real possibility. That's okay, I'll buy a generator and have it hooked up to my home and ready to go. Okay, good, but you better install a 10,000-gallon gas tank to go with it so you'll have fuel to run it. And you might want to get started on digging that underground bunker to live in. And what do you think is going to happen when everybody in your neighborhood sees that you have plenty while they have none? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get a gun and stand guard 24-7, right? Now, I want to get something straight. And, and, and I have to be honest. I don't want to sound fatalistic. I don't want to bring you down. But I feel it's important to be realistic, and to be biblical. Try as we might, this world in general is not going to get better. As Christians, it's our job to, to work on that, to try and make that happen, to be honest to our calling to the Lord. But it's going to get worse and worse as time goes on. And as we approach the end of the world as we know it, which is clearly predicted in the Bible and what this scripture today we're reading is all about, the prepping we need to do is not physical or financial, but spiritual. We need to understand God's word and to be spiritually ready for the difficult times that are coming. Now, I wouldn't be foolish enough to make any predictions about how long these COVID-19 restrictions and problems are going to be part of our society. There are national and worldwide leaders who are claiming they're here to stay forever, claiming this is our new normal. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that is not true. We need to be able to touch, to hug, to gather, to be part of a larger community and a lot of other things that we need. But what if it is here permanently? What if this is the beginning of the end times Jesus talks about? What if today is the best day for the rest of your life? Are you ready to make the most of it, to praise the Lord for what you still have instead of crying about what you've lost? I had a dear 84-year-old friend who passed away at the beginning of all this. And as I was going through her things, I, I found this in her Bible. And I've kept it and carried it in my wallet. Habakkuk 13, uh, excuse me, 317. 
Even though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Isn't that a beautiful example for us to look around, to, to remind ourselves that as frustrated as some of us are with what we've lost, with what we can't do, with what's been going on, that we still have so much to praise the Lord about. Now, just for the record, I'm not so sure this is the actual beginning of the end days, but it could be. Being a sports fan, I've been describing it as a practice game scheduled for us by God, designed to show us how much spiritual work and practice we have to do in order to get ready for the upcoming season of life that is right around the corner. Spiritual preparation is the key. And the notes in my study Bible reminded me the only adequate preparation is a life of consistent vigilance and obedience to God's word. So we must watch and obey. And when it comes to God's word, the best way for us to be in line with him is to ask ourselves, what did Jesus say? Jesus spends most of the rest of this discourse telling his followers what to plan and prepare for. And the first thing he focuses on are the lies and false saviors. Verse 23, then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false, uh, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or look, he is hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the vultures show... When they gather, there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. The Jewish people have been misled by false prophets for centuries, and the same problem has plagued the Christian church with many falling prey being suckered in by false teachers all the way through today. And Jesus warns us not to be fooled. He tells us when he comes, it'll be clear and obvious to the whole world as if lightning is flashed in the sky worldwide. We've had some pretty powerful storms lately, and we've seen some tremendous lightning. And you see the power of that just locally here in Albuquerque. Imagine worldwide lighting us up with awareness and recognition immediately and without question. This is the Lord. He has returned. Anything else we see or hear must be quickly dismissed as false teaching and an attempt to mislead us. In other words, Jesus is going to make this part easy and very obvious for us. The difficult period is between now and then and not falling for any of the tricks, any of the bait and switch techniques the evil one is so skilled at using on mankind. And keep in mind that when this happens, the majority of the world will fall for it. Be ready to be the lone ranger, the odd man out. But know your Bible and stick to it. Stand for biblical truth and you will be rewarded. Next, in verse 29, Jesus paraphrased the prophecy of both Isaiah 
from 13.10 and Ezekiel in 32.7. They both basically said the same thing. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. So fear, sadness, and mourning will be spread all over the world, with one exception, true believers. And Bible scholar William McDonald writes, what a wonderful moment that will be. The one who was spit upon and crucified will be vindicated as the Lord of life and glory. The meek and lowly Jesus will appear as Jehovah himself. The sacrificial lamb will descend as the conquering lion. The despised carpenter of Nazareth will come as king of kings and lord of lords. His chariot will be the clouds of heaven. He will come in regal power and splendor, the moment for which creation has groaned for, for thousands of years. Oh, Lord, that some of us in this room will still be alive when this happens or be with him when he comes back. Back to Scripture. Verse 32, now learn a lesson from the fig tree when its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout. You know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. If you don't see some of these early indications, some of these sprouts, I'm afraid you're not paying attention or you don't know your Bible very well. Verse 34, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away or pass from the scene until all these things take place. Now that question or that sentence has always caused a lot of questioning and controversy. It couldn't mean the people living when Christ was on earth that he was talking to because all those people have passed away, but all those events have not yet happened. Jesus might have been referring to the people who will see the beginning of the tribulation in the future. Or the term when he says generation could be understood to mean race. It's a legitimate translation of the Greek word, meaning people of the same stock, breed, or family. So Jesus could have been predicting that the Jewish race would not pass away, that they would survive to see all these things accomplished. Their continued survival as a race, despite atrocious persecution, has often been pointed to as a miracle of history. We know the Jews were scattered all over the world many, many times, and they had no homeland until 1948 when the nation of Israel was established. Verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Again, this verse requires some careful understanding. He's emphasizing the un failing characteristics of his words, his predictions. In speaking of heaven passing away, he's referring to uh, the stellar or the atmospheric heavens, the, the blue firmament, the sky that we see above us, not the heaven that we can't see where God dwells. Both Peter in 2 Peter and the book of Revelation back this up, describing the dissolution of the heavens and the earth. We now know, we just read it in those predictions, from, from Ezekiel and Isaiah. But 
they'll be replaced by a much more wonderful new heaven and new earth that'll be lit and illuminated by the Lord himself. Now, Jesus finally gets around to the question that started this whole dialogue when the disciples asked him, when will all this happen? And he says in verse 36, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So if we believe Jesus is the Son of God, then we should believe his words. Anyone who tells you they know when or how the end is coming is absolutely a liar or a crackpot or both. We can just dismiss it. Shouldn't waste a moment on thinking about it or trying to learn about it. Jesus has already spoken, and he says in verse 37, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. So you two must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. You know, for about 100 years, people lived longer back then. Noah did his best to warn everyone he could about what was coming, what the Lord had told him. Nobody but his immediate family listened. The same thing continues today. Pastors, preachers, Bible teachers warning people what is coming. But like back then, so many continue with their life as is, ignoring the Lord. Warren Wiersbe said the common interests of life, eating, drinking, marrying, cause them to lose the best by just living for the good. It is a dangerous thing to get so absorbed in the pursuits of life that we forget Jesus is coming. Let's go back and read that scripture again, 42. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day the Lord is coming. Now, this doesn't mean we're going to do a field trip up to Sandia Crest and get everybody on the bus and just just camp up there and gaze out and watch and not do anything else. It means to stay alert and awake, to keep watches, to maintain active, energetic, single-minded obedience to the Lord. Jesus continued, understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Then Jesus launched into a series of four different parables, the one we're about to read, and three more in Matthew 25 that we won't go over today, but I'll mention Verse 45, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. This passage is about us. It's describing us as servants over our our household or our sphere of influence. We're to feed and care for those under our leadership. And that doesn't just mean physically, but more importantly, spiritually. 
our spouses, our children, our church family and beyond, those we work with, our neighbors, those in the community that have needs that might include hungry or homeless or addicted, those enslaved in sex trafficking or other things that are messy and require us to to get our, our hands dirty, so to speak. And keep in mind that that also very often includes those who might seem wealthy or well-off in this world. They too often have deep needs hidden just below the surface of their possessions. They need to know Jesus just as much as anyone. And this scripture reminds us that Jesus has put each of us in charge of a small sphere of influence. And he considers it his household because he is the master of the world and he has left us in charge of our little area until he returns and though he's been gone a long time he could come back at any moment so we need to make sure that when he returns no matter how suddenly how unexpectedly no matter how long it is that the Lord will be pleased by the way we have cared for those he has placed in our path I often think that my goal in life is to hear the Lord say the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. In Matthew 24, 48, Jesus talks about the consequences of not being that kind of a servant. But what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is the beginning of of chapter 25 and we're not going to go through it due to time limitations. But I encourage each of you to read the first part of Matthew 25 and to carefully study these other three parables. Number one, the ten bridesmaids, five who were wise and five who were lazy and foolish. Number two, the three servants who were each given bags of money to take care of for their master. And number three, the separation of the sheep and the goats, the righteous and the unrighteous servants. We've all heard those, and I think we tend to brush over them because we've heard them so many times. But read through and see if anybody you read about reminds you of you. And focus on this in verse 35. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. As you look through these parables and decide who sounds like you, decide how you want to live the rest of your life from this day forward. And remember, this may be the best day, the greatest opportunity we will ever have because none of us knows how our days are numbered. Now, I want to go back to where we started. We skipped right over something at the very beginning of this long passage, Matthew 24, 1, that had never caught my eye until just now. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, stop right there. It hit me. This would be the last time he would ever be there in the temple that he loved. His parents found him there at the age of 12 when he was supposed to be with his family. He spent every amount of time that he could there teaching and ministering. 
and he was leaving it for good. He was very sad. He had done his best, but had been completely rejected by the Jewish nation. And he knew this was the beginning of the end. We go back to chapter 23 for the last few sentences. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. He was abandoning the temple physically. And he continues in verse 39, For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, I don't want this lesson to frighten us, but it has to get our attention. We should be encouraged because Jesus is coming back. And no matter what happens between now and then, how much we must struggle or suffer, Jesus promised he will never leave us or forsake us. Nothing we face on this earth can come close to the glory and the majesty we're promised for eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So to address the question posed in the title of this lesson, is this the beginning of the end? Yes, it is in many ways, but I prefer to think of it as this is the beginning of our brand new beginning. And just as labor pains are so hard and so painful to go through, they eventually result in the birth of something beautiful and magical and holy. And as we go through the pain towards the end of the world, it will also result in a new heaven and a new earth. But it is also the beginning of the end because each one of us is now one hour, one day closer to the end of our life, to the return of Jesus, whichever comes first. And I don't say this to be negative or to cause us to worry or fear as a true believer. I look forward to either one of those things happening in the very near future. Some of us, most likely many of us, may pass from this world before this happens. We can't risk being lazy or unaware. We don't want Jesus to think that we just don't care. Jesus spoke these words in John 14, 1 as we wrap up. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know where I am going. So we are to wait, to watch, and we are to be wise. In the scripture we just read, Jesus referenced the prophet Daniel who wrote these words. Chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Daniel, like Jesus, predicts a coming time of great anguish, fear, and tribulation. Yet he promises those who trust in the Lord will not only survive the pain, but experience great and unimagined gain. Our knowledge of God's word will help us to recognize what is happening and show us what to do and what not to do. 
This period of worldwide terror will seem like the darkest of night, but those who are wise in God's eyes will somehow find the courage and the commitment to shine bright. And it's time today to decide who you are and to ask Jesus to make you a shining star. No matter how tough it gets between now and then, we can lean on Scripture and we can lean on each other. It's so important to gather together with other believing brothers and sisters in groups like this, in our Bible studies, in our special events. And we can still do it within the guidelines and restrictions that are here now. We can use the electronic access that we have, the phones, texting, email, encouraging, lifting each other up through these troubled times. And no matter how bad things seem, we are not the only ones. And the Lord commands us to find joy in every day we are given on this earth. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 reminds us, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Please join me in prayer. Great and mighty God, thank you for this this time together today and for your presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We know that you don't dwell in this building, that you live in our hearts. But when all of us come together like this, Lord, your power and your might and your majesty is magnified and multiplied. And I pray that every believer in this room would feel that, that through today's message, we would all be inspired that our desire to serve you, to know your word, to be available for you, to be brave and bold in the times to come would be increased. And Lord, I pray that if anyone who is not a believer has wandered in today, that they would search their heart and ask you to become Lord and Savior. And Lord, that they would have the courage to, to come up to me afterwards, to ask them to, to help walk them through the beginning step of that process. Father God, we pray for Pastor Dave as he rushes, uh, rests and refreshes. We pray for everyone involved in, in this church and, and those who couldn't make it today. We pray for those who are listening online because they're afraid to come or because their, their situation with their health is too dangerous and too precarious. Lord, we pray for this world. Father God, show us our place. Show us why you have created us and make us available for the things that you have created us to do in these very difficult and trying times, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for all that you've done and for all that your word promises that is still to come. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.